don't touch the dial. Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you something that I don't think I've told you before. I'll be on stage at the Deal Maker Live event in Dallas, Texas on July 25th, 6th, and 7th. This event is going to be insane. Michael Blanc will be there. Hal Elrod will be there. Corey Peterson, Robert Helms. Are you kidding me? Adam Adams, Joe Fairless, Andrew Cushman, Matt Faircloth, David Zook, Brian Burke, Michael Becker, Reed Goosen, Stan Hanford, and Neil Bawa. It's going to be insane. I hope to see you there. Just go to dealmakerliveevent.com forward slash Adam to get an extra hundred bucks off and not to pay full price. Do the forward slash Adam. That link's in the show notes. So go ahead and go into the links and grab your tickets right now to Dallas. I'll see you on July 25th through 27th. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam A. Adams, the win-win maker, the solution maker. I'm going to help you go from zero doors to 100 doors or from five doors to a few thousand doors. That's what we want to do. And we're, today we're here with John Webb, and I'm excited because he works with real estate from anywhere. So John Webb is actually helping investors to be able to invest passively or actively into other markets except for the one that they have to live in today. So this is going to be fun. We're really going to dive into this concept of the uh, blue collar investor and the white collar investor. I am excited for you to learn what we're talking about there. And the other thing that we're going to talk about is once we realize that we want to invest, we're going to talk about why we would go out of state. So here we go. Let's get started. John Webb, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Fantastic to have you on the show. I really appreciate it. So here's the thing. Uh, first off, are, you're a real estate investor yourself, right? Absolutely. Okay. So l- just take me down back to the day that you did your first deal. What was going through your mind? Well, I mean, I had been toying around with real estate investing for years. Um, I lived in Minneapolis and did a couple fix and flips there. And I always wanted it to be um, my profession. And I had, you know, nine to five jobs. And I finally, uh, a couple years ago, uh, had made the leap uh, to doing it full time. And I was fortunate enough to team up with some folks that had, uh, you know, tons of experience, and they were able to to get me going. And I remember the first deal I did was uh, a package of four houses and uh, sorting through that and figuring out what that meant. And you know, I ended up only closing on one of them, but hey, one was better than none, and and I was down the road. So, um, and and you know, I, people that have been in this business for a while, you know, every deal's got some nuances. The the concept is not overly difficult to to, to necessarily wrap your arms around. It's really how you do it that gets difficult, um, and 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 is very nuanced. And every deal's got some some peculiarities that uh, can creep up. Perfect. I hope you have in mind already a very creative deal because later on in this program, I'm going to ask you what's the most creative deal you've ever done. And I'm excited to figure out what that is. So keep that in mind. But for now, let's go into this concept that you have of there's really two types of investors really who are getting into single family and you've got the blue collar and the white collar. So why don't you take it from there? 
Yeah, and, and I what you'll find, Adam, is I'm a simple guy. I try to keep things uh, pretty straightforward. And and in my mind, people that are that want to that know real estate should be a part of their uh, investment strategy or part of their overall portfolio, along with whatever whatever they got stocks and bonds and precious metals, whatever it is. Um, there's really, in my mind, the two ways. Which one is a blue collar? I call quote unquote blue collar approach, which is you know, you want to own properties and you want to, to take on, um, you know, whatever risk is associated with owning properties and you want to be directly involved with that. Uh, whether you have a property management company or not, you know, at a minimum, you got to manage the property manager, right? Um, and that's one way. And, and the other way at a high level is really being this white collar investor, which is, you know, I really just want to, I want to be in real estate. I really don't want to own properties. I don't want to take on that, um, that work or that risk. I just want a, a long-term stable cash flow that's tied to real estate. You know, that's, you know, that's an investment that's insured, <laughs> right? That's going to give me a, a X percent return, you know, month in, month out over time. And that's how I define it. So basically you're either, I want to own houses and I want to be, you know, more deeply involved, or I just want to be the bank and I want to, and I want to fund deals and I just want to turn on the cash flow machine and not really have to worry about, it. I want somebody else to worry about it. Okay. So what takes a person, what makes them decide if they're blue collar or white collar? So help me decide if I'm listening and I haven't yet gotten into real estate, or maybe I started getting in real estate, but I never heard this concept of blue collar, white collar, and maybe I didn't know I could be the bank. Uh, what makes somebody be able to uh, identify which one they're going to do? Well, I think, it, I think it comes with how actively you want to be involved and what type of risk you want to take. Uh, you know, when you're going to own properties, even if even if you tap into a you know a network like I have in Memphis and we get you set up with the best property managers and construction folks and insurance companies and we get you tapped in at the end of the day you're still going to be there's a level of involvement and a level of risk that you have to take on you know real estate investing is not a risk free deal right we do the best we can to minimize it but at the end of the day hey i don't know if the tenant is going to trash the place on the way out Right. I don't, I, you know, we just don't know. Um, we don't know if they're going to pay. Right. And you have to deal with, with those issues. So it's really to me about, you know, it, if you want some greater returns and you're willing to take on the risk and you're willing to be a more quote unquote actively involved, even if you have a property manager, that's more of the blue collar person, somebody that's willing to, to roll up their sleeves and, and dive in. You know, conversely, with the white collar approach, it's like you're not taking any of that on, right? You team up with somebody that's a pro, that this is what they do day in and day out. You let them do the heavy lifting, and and you're going to get, you know, a lower return than you would potentially owning the property, but you're also not taking on tenant risk. You're not taking on um, the work that needs to be done to to at a minimum manage your property manager. Okay. And deal with the issues that come up. So it sounds like if you're the blue collar type of investor taking on these single family in particular, mm -hmm. it sounds like 
there's a greater upside, but also a greater downside. Is that accurate? Uh, I think it is at a high level. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And so on the white collar type of investor that we're talking about, it's you're more likely to make a stable return without the work, uh, but there's no variation. There's not much of a variation. You're always going to make that 7% or 3% or 10% or whatever you agreed on. You're always going to just make that with a security against an insured asset. So if it, if it left you, you would be able to take it over, but you don't have to uh, all of a sudden one month say, I have to pay 3,500 just to turn around this property. You're still going to actually make your normal return this month, regardless of what's going on with the tenant. Is that accurate? You got it. Perfect. I love it. And one of the things that you mentioned before we really started recording uh, is you talked about you really enjoy yourself working with the single family and duplex. And you said that the reason why is because you felt like that the single family re uh, rental is really the Cadillac of investing. So I want you to be able to tell the listener what you meant by SFR being the Cadillac. Well, it to me, it's simple. One is it, it gives you flexibility. If you need to, if you need to make some moves and sell a, a property, you can do that. So to me, it comes down to flexibility. And I also think that the, the single family residence also handles over time, um, handles a downturn uh, better than other types of, of asset classes uh, when and if that does happen. So those are the two main reasons for me. Okay, got it. And the next thing that I want to talk about and by the way, to the listener, I'm a very biased multifamily person. So <laughs> I know that. <laughs> keep, keep listening. Keep listening to this podcast. Additional episodes uh, where I will talk about why multifamily. So you know we've got we've got two two different things, and I I love that that it's a contrasting opinion. I love it. I'm grateful to have you on the show. That's exactly what we need is always to be hearing all the different sides of the coin. So here we go. The next question, where, and this is going to be fun one, because uh, there are, I think, talking about Memphis in general is very polarized. I don't know if you've noticed that or if you agree at all, but I feel like there are so many people that have um, an opinion of Memphis before they even dive into Memphis that it's going to be scary or it's street by street or whatever. So I want you to go from there and, and sell me on why should we actually go into the city of Memphis when we're investing passively or actively into these single family rentals. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I think you're right. It is, uh, it can be a bit polarizing. I've talked to obviously tons of people about Memphis and, and there's some people that, you know, I Googled it and it's, uh, you know, it's one of the top ranked, you know, murder places in the country. And, you know, so I hear all that. Um, the reality is, though, um, you know, for, if you look at if cash flow is what you want, right, long term stable cash flow, that's the Memphis market. So when you're when you're talking about, oh, hey, you know, if I want to, I want to be, you know, make a 10 year run in, you know, in my investments, uh, 
Memphis is a market that doesn't go, uh, it doesn't go wildly up and down. It stays like this over time. So very stable. Um, it's not, you know, you're not playing the appreciation game in Memphis, right? I tell that people, you know, tell people right up front, hey, this is not a market. You know, you're not going to buy something for 60 grand and then, you know, three years from now, it's going to be worth 180. That's just not the market it is. Uh, but the, if you look at being able to get in with a modest amount, make good returns on that, um, it's a great market for that. So, you know, the sweet spot in Memphis is a, you know, let's say 50 to, you know, 80, 90, maybe 100, where you're going to make um, good returns at that entry point. So, again, it's what I was talking about when we, I think, before we started. It's, it's a market where, you know, if you were going to spend 350 in a market like Denver and get, let's say, 2000 in rent, you're going to spend 350 in Memphis and get, you know, 4500-ish, 5000 you know, somewhere in that range. So it's just a, a long-term stable market. Um, it's definitely a blue-collar city as I would characterize it, but it's a city that um, is consistent over time. Thank you so much for diving into that. I, I believe that you gave us quite a bit of info uh, about that. And anybody who's curious about going into Memphis probably ought to pause the podcast and just rewind it two minutes and probably listen to that just a couple of times. Uh, now, here's here's where I'm, I'm going to pause and then I'm going to get get back in and ask you more about getting involved into real estate with a more modest amount. But I am going to pause and share something that I learned from your castle. John Webb and I are both here in Denver and your castle is one of the bigger um, brokerages and they actually put on tons of education because I think they have around 750 agents don't quote me on that, but I think it's close. I'm friends with Charles Roberts. He's been in a mastermind with me for the last year or so. So let me go into what I'm talking about here. They have done some very strict analysis of whether you should be investing in Denver or another market like Memphis or Oklahoma City or Northeast Ohio or... You, you, insert here. These are the markets where they're less volatile. Uh, they don't see a downturn quite as much. The properties are already fairly low. The cost of living is already fairly low. And so this is, I believe, very valuable for any listener. And what they've decided, what they found that is if you are trying to make good cash flow or trying to make a good investment, on day one, you're way better off investing out of state. This is a Denver person saying you're way better off investing out of state. In in fact, you're almost twice as you're almost getting twice the return. It doesn't happen until the 23rd year. Guys, if you think, "Oh, I want the appreciation. I'm so I I think appreciation is so important." If you're planning on investing for 20 years or less, I believe you should go out of state every single time because the returns are stronger for the first 20 years. However, if you know you're going to hold this asset for 23 plus years, which is not most of the people listening right now, it's right. not most of the people listening, 
But if you know you're going to hold these assets for 23 or more years, you'll find that the, I mean, anybody watching the video is going to get this, but if you're on the podcast and just listening with your earbuds, it's going to be hard to explain this. So here's, here is Memphis or wherever. It starts up higher and here is Denver and it goes like this. Denver kind of goes, stays low, stays low. And then all of a sudden there's this bell curve because of the appreciation that you get, but it doesn't happen until the 23rd year. So that's very, very important for those of you who are thinking, oh, it's just safer here. The returns, this is documented, proven. If you're going to hold it for the next 10 years, you probably ought to go ahead and pick a market like Memphis or like uh, Oklahoma City or you know, insert your uh, out-of-state market here. That was my only tangent. <laughs> that was my only tangent. John Webb, uh, earlier, as you were explaining in depth, and I loved it, thank you for going into all that why Memphis, you mentioned that you could get in at a modest amount. I want you to elaborate a little bit more how much would it take to get into perhaps a house here in our market, which is Denver, versus how much would it take of your own money to get into Memphis? What do you, what do you mean by that, if you could take some more time on that? Sure. And some of this will be a little bit redundant, but I think it's important to emphasize. So in Memphis... It's a it's a market where the sweet spot, in my opinion, where the where the rents in the in the price of the homes, uh, I think, are best, is a, a swap that's probably about fifty to let's call it eighty, okay. And you know that's a, a nice you know three bedroom, you know one to two bath, uh, you know thousand the 1500 square foot property that is going to rent for, you know, seven to 900, you know, depending on the area. And, and as you alluded to earlier, you were like, well, you know, Memphis can be a little bit polarizing. And that's part of the reason that I focus just on Memphis. There's a strategy out there that says, well, you can, you know, invest all across, across the country. Well, my perspective is, you know, I want to know, the market that I'm investing in and that people and other investors that I'm working with are going to invest in so that I can put them in neighborhoods that are, you know, B to, you know, C minus neighborhoods with good economics um, and not put them in a war zone, right? Um, there's no reason in a market like Memphis to be in a war zone. You know, that's all I could buy a property for, you know, eight grand and, you know, I can get rent for 625, uh, you know, those are great economics, right up until you can never keep a tenant in there and they're trashing it all the time and you really never make any money. So let me interrupt you because yeah. I love what you just said, but make sure you know where to start after I say this, like, I don't want to really cut you off too much. No worries. I just want to share that I've, I've bought uh, 18 smaller properties. Uh, some of them cost me nine grand. You, you just mentioned one similar. <laughs> Some of them cost me 9000 per house, uh, uh, easily making five fifty a month. And uh, most of them are doing great. Most of them are doing great. They're not all doing great. I've uh, been for the last almost 12 months spending on three of my properties. In St. Louis, not saying St. Louis is good or bad. I'm saying my properties uh, were not 
amazing. Um, I bought in war zones. I bought cheap things and um, I've actually been paying for it. So what John is saying right now, I just need to emphasize it for anyone listening. Don't do the mistake that I made and think, oh, okay, I can, I can buy this house for 10 grand or nine grand or 12 grand and it can cash flow 500 or 700. Uh, so the numbers just don't lie. Quote, the numbers don't lie. Uh, that is the most inaccurate statement I've ever heard. Numbers lie. They're really, really good at lying. Uh, what doesn't lie is you going to that house or fourplex or whatever. You go, you fly out there, you see the neighborhood. The neighborhood doesn't lie. Your tenant doesn't lie. And if you're going to do 100% of this, trying to buy a $9,000 house, you could get into trouble. So, uh, all right, John, why don't you take it from there? I'm, I, I, I'm sorry for cutting you off. Where were you headed? Well, I, I, where I was headed was, you know, you, you start, we started this conversation, you know, you could a modest investment and what does that mean? And, and what I was trying to, to explain really is, you know, in Memphis, there, there, you can get, certainly get those cheap properties, you know, but I try to keep people and coach people to be in an area that is in that, you know, B, B minus to C minus. And that 50 to 80 is where that, in Memphis, where that price point is to get into a property and make a good solid return. And, you know, I think part of what people struggle with when, oh, you know, I'm investing out of state and, you know, there's a lot of people, got a gurus out there that are like, oh, you know, you got to invest in the market you live in. And, and I get it, right? I mean, that would, that would be great. But at the end of the day, not all markets are created equal that way, right? So I think that myth that you have to, to live where your properties are um, holds some people back. And, and what helps you get through that hurdle is, is get educated, right? You know, do your own research, talk to a person like me that has intimate knowledge of a market and get tapped into the network of folks, get tapped into the property managers that are, you know, the best out there, get tapped into to lenders, get tapped into insurance companies that know that market and can understand what it is, right? So I think part of the struggle with with a market like Memphis is just the unknown and it, and I get it. Right. It, you know, and I didn't learn Memphis overnight. Right. I dug in and figured it out. And there's no reason to reinvent the wheel for people that they have an interest. And like you said, it, Memphis isn't the only market in, in the, the U.S. that can can lend long term stable returns. I'm not saying it is. I just happen to say I know it <laughs> intimately. Yep. Um, and it's been good to me and good to my fellow investors. I am really enjoying our interview and I'm learning a lot and I know that the listener is getting a lot out of it. It is time for the final five and I know that's going to be great information. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with the final five. By now, you should know that one of the biggest things that brings me joy and happiness is to meet listeners of the show. That's why I do so many live events. Last year, I did over 200 events. This year, we'll see thousands and thousands of people at our events. I definitely want to meet you if, you if you'd like to meet me and some of our speakers, some of our presenters that come to the Raising Money Summit. And just to name a few, we've got Tim Brotz, Corey Peterson, Jason and Peely Yarusi, Michael Blanc, Michael Becker, Adam Adams, 
Ellie Perlman, Kathy Fedke, Maureen Miles, Jillian Sadoti, Jean Trowbridge, Alina Trigab, Todd Dexheimer, Ramakrishna, Jeremy Roll, uh, Kent Clothier, Chris Clothier, Matt Terrio, and Mark and Tamil Kenny. It's going to be awesome. I'll see you on October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Just go to RaisingMoneySummit.com. Check out the rest of that. And then if you want a big discount, just put in podcast. That way I'll know that you heard of the show on the podcast because my podcast listeners get a giant discount because I am hosting that event. I'll see you October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Mr. John Webb, what is the most creative deal you've ever done? Well, I... I guess the, the most creative deal I've done is I had a, a a seller that was trying to sell a bunch of properties. And at the end of the day, you know, I was able to negotiate something where uh, he was willing to carry, carry a note and basically be my bank. And that helped me improve my cash flow, And it helped him not having to dole out properties one by one and, and deal with a bunch of different investors and, and deal with, you know, a bunch of rigmarole. You come to one place and get it done and get it done quickly. That is truly gold. I really appreciate you mentioning that you were able to negotiate a seller finance on a property to really create a win-win. What is a book you recommend? I would say anything by Wayne Dyer. Um, about manifesting your own destiny. I think that's uh, important. I could name off some real estate books, but anything by Wayne Dyer, I think would, it would suit anybody well. Love it. Take me back five years ago. What was going on in your life, John? Uh, I was working a nine to five job that uh, I hated. All right. <laughs> Look at you now. Look at you now. Where will you be five years from today? Well, five years from today, uh, I would like to, quote unquote, be in a position where I could call myself retired, even though that's not my nature. Okay. And how do you give back? I give back by helping educate people. Um, and, you know, it's sort of like this podcast. It's right. This is an opportunity for me to try to, you know, share some knowledge and, and help people, you know, on their journey, particularly from a real estate perspective. Thanks so much for all of your time. I know there's a couple listeners right now that are saying, oh, I need to reach out to him. I need to ask him more questions about Memphis or how, how I can become a white collar investor. Um, so how do people find you? What's the best way? Best way I would say is via phone. And uh, that number, uh, I'll give you my personal cell number is 612-817-6913. Guys, go and blow up this phone, 612-817-6913. It'll also be in the show notes. Thank you, John. Really appreciate your time. Grateful to have you on the podcast and sharing all of your wisdom and expertise, especially in uh, the Memphis market as well. And until next time, my friend, think outside the box. I hope you got value out of today's episode. And before I let you go, if you did get a lot of value, please feel free to hop over to iTunes and let us know your thoughts and impressions. I love it when I get five-star ratings and reviews from our listeners. And so if, if you want to do that, I'd be super, super grateful. And as a reminder, I'll be on stage at the DealMaker Live event. If you want to go to DealMakerLiveEvent.com forward slash Adam, you actually save an extra hundred bucks. Who's going to be there? 
Well, Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Advisors will be there. Corey Peterson, Hal Elrod, Robert Helms, Adam Adams, that's that's me. Joe Fairless, Andrew Cushman, Matt Fairclough, Dave Zook, Brian Burke, Michael Becker, Reed Goosens, Dan Hanford, and Neil Bawa. It's going to be insane. I hope to see you there. Go to dealmakerliveevent.com forward slash Adam.